Evening, everyone. Tonight we have two Bible readings. So the first of those is from First Chronicles, chapter sixteen, verses twenty-three to thirty-one. So that's on page three five seven of the Black Bibles. If you are using those, sing to the Lord, all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, all ye families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Five for our second reading. My name is Jess, and it is a joy to be reading with you tonight. So Matthew 9, 35, all the way to chapter 10. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belt. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it a greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. 
But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it at that time. You will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jess. Nice to be here tonight. My name is Paul, if I haven't met you. Let me just share a few more ways that uh, the word has been at work in our church. I have the privilege every, every Tuesday of leading an alpha table. And it's just amazing as the word goes out, like lives are being transformed. Uh, we've just welcomed back at four o'clock this afternoon a busload of our upper primary. So 42 years, three to sixes went away for the weekend, uh, sat under the word of God. And I'm just praying that seeds have been planted and lives have been changed. I, I went into a nursing home on Thursday just to read the Bible with a, a lady in her 90s. And just see the, the, the lights go on. It's extraordinary. We have a real privilege that we have just sitting under the word. And so I'm going to pray now that the word will do its work and that we will be ready and eager to be changed. So let me, let me pray. Father, we do believe that your word really is a light to our path. And often, Lord, our paths seem dark, and so we pray you would shine light onto them. Often, Lord, we feel weighed down and burdened, so I pray that you would lift us from those burdens. Lord, show us the truth, show us Jesus, and show us how we may take our part in the work that you are doing. And we ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, Jesus said this famous verse, he said, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful. Do you believe that? The harvest, is, the harvest is plentiful in the Middle East right now. More Muslims are turning to Christ in the Middle East than at any other time in history. More, more Muslims have become Christians over the last 15 years than the past 15 centuries. In Iran right now, about 1,000 people a day are turned to Christ, despite persecution. It's incredible, the harvest is plentiful. What about China? It's estimated between 60 and 80 million people are Christians in China. Most of them are in an underground church, but the underground church is exploding. China is now the, the Bible printing capital of the world. They print about 50 million, Bibles, 50 million Bibles a year. They export it to 60 countries, translated to 75 languages. The harvest is plentiful in India. In India, they are planting churches at unprecedented rates because so many people are becoming Christians, there's not enough buildings to fit them into. The harvest is plentiful in Africa. So in Nigeria, every single Sunday, 20 million people gather to worship Jesus. Open your eyes. The harvest is plentiful. And the harvest is plentiful in Sydney. 
you might not know this, but just through the Bridge Church, just through our church, we get to share the gospel with between 500 and 1,000 people every week who are not yet believers. Through scripture in schools, through playtime, through Bridge Kids, through Ignite, through everyday English, through aged care activities, through Alpha, and just through church. I honestly can't remember a single Sunday in the past five years where we haven't had at least 10 unbelievers walk through our doors. The harvest is plentiful. There are people out in Sydney in your life who, who are ready, who are eager, who are longing to hear about Jesus and the hope and the peace he brings. The harvest is plentiful. Let, let, let's not just focus on the second half of that verse about the workers. Let's not get bogged down with how many people we've got at Bible college or on the mission field. He's just saying that the fields are ripe for harvest. There's a bumper crop out there. And it's a great image. You've got this, this massive grain field just ready to be harvested. And if it's not harvested, the grain will just wither and die. So the people in your life who are looking and longing for Jesus. Remember how Jesus saw people? saw this last week, Matthew 9, verse 36, when, when Jesus saw all the crowds, the crowd is the harvest. Crowds of people. When Jesus saw them, verse 36, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When, when Jesus sees people, he doesn't see them as comfortable, calm, capable, or significant, or successful. He says, no, they're harassed, they are Helpless, the word harassed, remember it means they're weighed down by troubles and trials. They're, they're weighed down by burdens. They're broken people. And they're helpless because they are powerless to do anything about it. And they're, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They are wandering aimlessly through life looking for some meaning and purpose and significance and hope in life. And when Jesus sees all these people, he, he doesn't say, oh yeah, whatever. He's full of compassion. He, he has this deep-seated gut-wrenching, stomach-churning, longing to care for them. And so he proclaimed the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. He told them about God's love for them. He said, I am the good shepherd who's going to lay down my life for you. Now that's how Jesus saw people. That's how we need to see people. And we need to really believe the harvest is plentiful. People are ready to hear the gospel. He's not saying anything new here. So John 4, verse 35, it's still four months into the harvest, but I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Jesus said, just open your eyes. See the people in your life who are longing to hear about hope and forgiveness in Jesus. I'll ask you again, do you believe there are people in your workplace, in your neighborhood, on your street, in your family, who are more ready to hear than you are to speak. I, mean, I think one of the biggest lies of the devil is to persuade us that people aren't interested. Oh no, he wouldn't be interested in Jesus. How do you know? Maybe he would. Or oh, she might be offended if I talk about Jesus. Well, she might not be offended. She might be delighted. 
So the problem is not lack of harvest. The problem is lack of workers. Look at the verse again, verse 37. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And this verse is, is a turning point in Matthew's gospel. This is the hinge where everything turns. Because up until now, Jesus has been the only worker. It's only been Jesus who has been proclaiming the good news and healing the sick and driving out demons. But he's just one man in one place and the harvest is plentiful and one man can't do it all. And so he needs other workers. And so we expect Jesus to say the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. And we expect him to say, so send more people to Bible college. Ordain more Anglican ministers. Employ more ministry staff. He doesn't say that. Oh, they're good things to do, but it's not what he says. Look what he says, verse 38. Ask the Lord of the harvest. Ask God himself to, to send out his workers into his harvest field. He, says, he doesn't say run an information night. He says have a prayer meeting. He doesn't say run more training sessions he says get on your knees and pray get on your knees and pray uh, and you imagine peter and james and and john and philip and, and and they're taking god as his word and they're on their knees and they're praying lord 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 would you raise up workers raise them up lord and they're fervently praying for gospel workers for the harvest and, and god answers their prayer God answers their prayer. He says, I have raised them up. And you are the answer to, my, to your prayers. You are the workers I'm going to send out. And you imagine Peter and James and John saying, no, 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 Lord, not us, Lord, please. We, we, we didn't pray for ourselves. Not us, Lord, send somebody else. And this is the scary bit. Because, friends, you are the ongoing answer to this prayer. If you're here tonight and you're a believer in Christ, you, you love Jesus, then, then you are the gospel workers to be sent into the harvest field. And you might not know this, but it's not just the ordained people we're talking about. It's, it's actually any believer. If you love Jesus, then you're a worker for the harvest. Uh, during World War I, during World War One, there was the, the greatest ever wheat harvest here in Australia. Unprecedented harvest that year. The problem is this. During World War I, most of the men in this country were fighting overseas. And so there wasn't enough workers for the harvest, and so most of that bumper harvest just left to rot. No one was there to reap it. Please, 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 please. Don't allow that to happen in your Christian life. The harvest is plentiful. We need workers. And we are the workers. I, I, I can't fathom this. In God's strange wisdom, he's entrusted us, empowered us to, to share the gospel and do his work, to be co-workers. Remember Ephesians 4, we had it our day away. That my role as a pastor teacher is not to do all the work. My role as a pastor teacher is to, to equip God's people for works of service. Or the word for equip there is actually the word mend, mend the nets. My, my role is just to mend broken people, to show them Jesus so that they can be uh, better equipped to live for Jesus and to share the good news about Jesus with other people. 
I love it. The harvest is plentiful, and we're all workers. In our own little way, with our own personalities, God can use us to speak of Christ and shine of Christ into other people's lives. There's a great evangelist called D.L. Moody, a brilliant evangelist. And everybody he met, he asked the same question. The question was this, are you a Christian, he would ask. Are you a Christian? And he, and he says the most common response was, it's none of your business. <laughs> it's none of your business. And D.L. Moody would say, I'm sorry, it is my business because I'm a Christian I'm in the business of doing God's work. So it is my business. I need to ask you again, are you a Christian? <laughs> now, now, you might not be as bold as that, but, you know, he's right. Your primary business is not to be an accountant or a teacher or to be a nurse or to be a doctor or to be a retiree. Your, your primary business is to be a worker for God in the harvest fields in your own little way. I find that exciting. Uh, two points. We're, we're called by Jesus. We're called by Jesus. See that word in verse 1? 10 verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So Jesus called these 12 disciples to himself, his followers. And if you know your Bibles, it, it, it wasn't revolutionary. He just saw people sitting at the side of the road or by the Sea of Galilee, he says, come on, come on, follow me. He called them, come follow me. And they left everything. They surrendered their life to Jesus and they, and they followed Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. You're, you're called by Jesus. Now, now for us here, it's, it's, it's a spiritual calling. You know, you must be born again. There's a moment in your life when, when the Spirit of God prodded you and chased you and then convicted you and opened your eyes. There's a moment in your life where, where you realize that you were broken and you heard the voice of Jesus say, come to me, let me heal you, I love you, I died for you. There's a moment in your life when your eyes were open that Jesus lived, died, rose again, will return. That was a calling. So, so before I continue, if you're a believer here tonight, when was that for you? When was the moment in your life when your eyes was opened to the Lord Jesus Christ? Now for me, it was May 1990. I was so reluctant. I had a truckload of unanswered questions. It was a very private faith. I'd never stepped foot in a church before, but that was the moment when I knew that Jesus loved me. And I wanted to be his follower. And if I'm a follower, a work, and then I'm a worker, I was a terrible worker. I was an awful worker, but I was still a worker. Uh, now, you might be thinking tonight, oh, I could never do this. I could never be a worker for the harvest. I'm not able. I want to say, no, you're not able. But God is able. Because look at verse 1. He didn't just call you, but he empowers you. That's the word used. He, he gave them, the word there is power. Jesus gave his 12 the authority or the power for the task of driving out impure spirits and healing every disease and sickness. It's the same word used in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and you will be my witnesses. 
So I, I don't think he's saying that, we, that all of us here will have the power to drive out demons and heal the sick. That's not the point. The point isn't what they do, but how they do it. And they only do it with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the authority of Jesus Christ himself. And that's the same with you and I when we, we share the gospel. Please don't think that you have the eloquence, that you have the persuasive words. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that you'll be equipped and enabled just to gently share your faith. I don't know whether you've ever been in a conversation with a friend who's not a believer and, and they, they ask you this question and it's, it's like this, this gift, <laughs> this gift to talk about Jesus, but, but something with this, with, inside you goes, I, I don't know what to say, and you freeze up. And then suddenly words come out of your mouth. You're thinking, where did that come from? That's the Holy Spirit. That's verses 19 and 20. At that time you'll be given what to say. If it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So when we're asked to share our faith, we need to trust that God will give us the right words to say. And he'll direct us to the right people. Because we're just co-workers and he's already chosen those who are his. I love the story of the great evangelist B.F. Mills who was on a, on a rally. And he was staying in this hotel and one night about midnight he realised he had some letters to post. This, this ages this story. Went downstairs to the hotel to post these letters. The, the, the receptionist wasn't there. There was a random policeman there. And the policeman said, I'll, I'll take your letters, I'll make sure they get posted for you. Thank you very much. As he's walking back upstairs to his room, he feels God say to him, why didn't you share the gospel with that policeman? And he's thinking, well, he didn't seem to want to know. Why didn't you share the gospel with the policeman? Oh, he's super cool and trendy, he wouldn't want to hear. Why didn't you share the gospel with that policeman? And he had this sleepless night where he thinks, I should have shared the gospel with that policeman. The next day at the rally he was speaking at, there's thousands of people there, but he spots the policeman in the crowd. But there are too many people there to get to the policeman. And he's praying, Lord, just give me a chance, give me a chance. At the end of the rally, there's almost an opening in the aisle, and, and coming down the aisle is this policeman, true story, with tears rolling down his cheeks. He said, I know nothing about Jesus, but I'm so keen to find out. Would you tell me, please? I do believe God places in your path, in your life, people that God is calling you to share the love of God with. I remember being in church here at 8 a.m. back in May time, and as I'm preaching at 8 a.m., there's a guy sitting down here on my, on the, on the, my left-hand side, and, and God is saying to me, speak to him, speak to him. So after the service, I speak to this guy, and he just talks about all his addictions and how he's so broken. I said, let's grab a coffee. Had a coffee, invite him to Alpha. <laughs> he heard the good news about Jesus, gave his life to Christ, and I get to baptize him in two weeks' time. Just be spiritually aware to the people in your life that God might be leading you to to share the love of Christ with. It's a spirit who equips us, it's a spirit who directs us. Uh, you might be thinking, but Paul, you don't know me. I'm not that type of Christian. I, I'd be a terrible witness to Jesus. I don't fit the mold. 
What mold are you talking about? What mold do you think you need to be? Do you think that gospel workers need to be super confident, super eloquent, dynamic personalities? Think again. Now, think about these first disciples. They were this odd bunch, this bunch of misfits. Look at verse 2. These are the names of the first people that were chosen to be workers for the harvest. Ordinary people. And the first was called Simon, who is called Peter. So thankful that Jesus changed his name because the name Simon means he listens and Peter did not listen. Peter was impetuous, he was arrogant, he was proud, he denied Jesus, but God still used him, didn't he? And then there's Andrew. He's got a better name. His name means manly. He was reluctant, though, to trust in Jesus at the feeding of the 5,000. He is doubting Jesus' power, but God still used him. And you've got James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, James and John, the fishermen, the edgy, cool kind of people. God used them. Then verse 3, you've got Philip, good old Philip, has a human calculator for a brain. He's a numbers man, he's slow, he's methodical, he's dull, he's boring. But God used him. And then you've got Bartholomew, whose other name is Nathaniel. He's the man who said, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And God used him. Then you've got Thomas, who said, I refuse to believe, unless I put my, my fingers in the nail marks, I refuse to believe, but God used him. And God used Matthew, this sort of odd, outcast tax collector. If you've seen The Chosen, he's portrayed as slightly spectrumy, and God uses him. You've got James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. You've got Simon, the zealot, who is a political figure, passionate, revolutionary. And you've got Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus, but God still used him. And you read this list, and they're not really an inspiring bunch, are they? They're ordinary people, loved by God, empowered by the Spirit, and God used them to grow his kingdom. They were just weak vessels. I find that super encouraging. Ordinary, weak, insecure, incompetent people used by God to grow his kingdom. I want to say, friends, God can and God will use you if you're just willing to be used. We're not all called to plant a church or go to Bible college or lead Alpha courses or do walk-up evangelism but if you belong to Christ, if you're a son or a daughter of God, then we are workers and God will use you if you're willing. So we're called by Jesus and we're commissioned by him. That's our second point. Matthew chapter 10 is actually called the little commission. Matthew 28 is the great commission. You know, go and make disciples of all nations. That's the great commission. This is the little one. Verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you receive, freely give. And we read these verses, we think, well, what do we do with that? Now, are we expected to drive out demons and 
Should we not take an extra shirt for the journey? What do you do with these verses? I want to say that there are principles here, timeless truths that are true for us today. The first one is that we are sent out. Verse 5, Jesus sent out the disciples. That's us. That's true of us. Because in John chapter 17, when Jesus prays that priestly prayer, he says, I am sending them into the world. Same word. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We've been sent out into the world to be his witnesses. You know, God so loved the world, he sent his only son. And then he sends us into the world to tell other people that God so loved the world, he sent his only son. We're the witnesses. We are Christ's ambassadors, 2 Corinthians 5. We've been sent to a people. Verse 5, he sends these first disciples and says, don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but go to the lost sheep of Israel. So that was their people. That was the ones that they were sent to. And just so you know, it's that theological truth that the gospel went first to the, the Jews and then the Gentiles. But then the Holy Spirit came, then Pentecost happened. And he sends out his disciples not just to Jerusalem, but to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, even Australia. And so I want to ask you, who are the people that God has sent you to? And please don't tell me you haven't got a people, because you have got a people. Acts 17, God has determined the time set for you and the exact places where you should live. So if we live in Sydney, that's not an accident. Where you work is not an accident. Where you play is not an accident. Where you rub shoulders with people is not an accident. God has placed you with a particular people. Your neighbours, your networks, your workplace, your colleagues, your boss. They are the people that God has placed you amongst. Do you ever see them as, as the harvest field ripe for harvesting? And you're probably asking, oh, this is, this is a bit too convicting. I, I'm feeling uncomfortable. How can I do this, Paul? Let me give you two tips. Number one, do, do it with somebody else. It can be really hard doing it by yourself, can't it? Uh, Jesus actually said to his disciples two by two. Uh, Ian Campbell here has got a buddy, your golfing buddy, Oliver Greaves, yeah? And the, the two of them play golf together with lots and lots of unbelievers. And if, if I remember rightly, Ian, the, the culture of that golf club was full of profanity and lots of blasphemy. But side by side, Ian and Oliver get into that golf club and the culture changes and people are less profane. But, but more than that, they start to talk about Jesus and invite their friends to events and to church and people are becoming Christians. It is easier if you've got a buddy to do it with you. My second top tip is this. Just start with one person. Don't try and change the world. Just start with one person. The one person that God placed on your heart, saying they need to hear about Jesus. I had a great tip this week, and I've just started to do it, is on your phone, put a reminder, an alarm on every single day. Set an alarm for 3.16 p.m., not a.m., 
And at 3.16, your phone will go off. and You'll, you'll remember John 3.16, God so loved the world, he sent his only son. And at 3.16, just, just spend 30 seconds praying for one person in your life who doesn't yet know Jesus. I mean, God is not asking you to change the world. He's just asking you to look at the harvest around you in your people group and just ask them, just ask them. It's amazing how when you ask somebody, it actually changes things. A number of years ago, they changed the rules. So when you had to, to get a new driver's license here in Australia, they had to ask you if you wanted to be an organ donor. And just by doing that, by introducing you have to ask, the number of organ donors doubled in Australia because someone bothered to ask. This is a commission you're sent to a people with a message, verse 7. Love, verse 7, as you go. What that literally means is as you live. So go to your people, live amongst your people, and as you live, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. What a great message to proclaim. God has stepped into his world in the person of Jesus Christ. God loved this world so much he sent his son to die for your sins. God loves you with an extravagant, extraordinary, unconditional, lavish kind of love. Who doesn't want to hear that message? It's a message to shout from the rooftops so that you can have peace and pardon in the Lord Jesus Christ. Most people have never heard that. On my alpha table this week, a 39-year-old wrote, I've never heard that God loves me. Never heard it. It's not just that we speak the gospel, we, we live the gospel. It's not just the, the words that we say, it's the works that we do. Not just declaring truth, but doing good deeds. Because the people that you live amongst aren't just projects, they're people. People with real needs. That's why he says, verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. I want to be honest, I don't think I've ever driven out a demon or cleansed a leper. But I do try and love the marginalized and the outcast, the people that our world just ignores. I haven't healed a leper, but I do try and touch those people and hug those people that the world just walks on past. Heal the sick. You, you may not have the gift of healing, but, but we can all care for the sick. We can all visit the sick, can't we? Don't underestimate the power of a visit to the sick person. I was reminded that this, this Thursday I had coffee with a, a member of 7pm and she might be here tonight. About five years ago her, her mother was in hospital at North Shore. They, they live about three hours away. And I just took 45 minutes out of my day, 45 minutes to go up to North Shore Hospital to meet her mother. Sat there, prayed with her, read a psalm with her, and then left. I thought nothing of it. And this Thursday, I was just told that that was really a turning point in her mother's life to rethink church and faith and stuff like that. But the power of just care and love before you start to shovel the gospel down people's throat. Freely you have received, he says, verse 8. The gospel is free, it's a gift of grace. You're saved by grace, not by works. So freely give. 
freely give your time and your energy and your money and just give the gospel freely. Please don't make the gospel complicated. Please don't start talking about church and works and Bible reading and prayer. It's just a gospel of grace. And as you go, you're totally dependent on God, verses 9 and 10. You depend on God for everything, your physical needs, your material needs. Trust him. You depend on God, verse 11, to direct you to the people that he wants you to speak to. Verse 11, whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person. So look out for the people that God is saying, speak to them, speak to them. As you enter the home, give it, a, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. Pray a prayer, shalom, peace be over you. Do you ever do that? But in a gathering, just pray a prayer of peace over this gathering and ask, Lord, show me the people here that you want me to talk to. But not everyone's going to like it, are they? He goes on to say, if the home will not welcome you or listen to your words, then leave that home, leave that town and shake the dust off your feet. It's the picture of the rabbi who is travelling back from the Gentile land, entering Israel and shaking off the dust. He's just saying that some people won't like it, even if you are the kindest, most caring person, most gentle in the way you talk about Jesus, some people will hate it. And when you're confronted by those people who refuse to listen, then just move on. Verse 16 is a bit scary. I'm sending you like, sheep among the wolves that's not a particularly nice picture we are vulnerable sheep there are wolves out there ready to tear us to pieces so please don't think everybody's going to like the message of jesus you will face opposition it's to be expected don't believe that false gospel that if you love jesus and you're a bold in talking about jesus then your life will be full of peace and safety and and having a ball it won't be You'll face opposition and persecution. I want to say, if your goal in life is to be popular, you'll never share the gospel. If your goal in life is to be liked by everybody, to be cool and trendy and to have no friction in any relationship, being loved in your workplace, if that's your goal, you'll never put yourself on the line for Jesus. I think Jesus would say, if you've never suffered for the gospel, you're not really talking about Jesus properly. Because we will suffer. It'll be exhausting. It'll be brutal. We'll feel lonely. We'll ask, am I crazy? I often ask Paul, are you crazy? And people keep saying to me, Paul, just, just turn the dial down a bit. Dial it down a bit. Which is fine, except that we're doing the Father's business. Be shrewd, he says, verse 16. Be strategic, be wise, be innocent, be pure. Please don't allow your impurity, your brashness, your arrogance to stop people hearing the message. So we're called by Jesus, we're commissioned by him. And I'll finish this. I think God has, God has placed this, this, this fire in my belly over the last five years all these lost souls who are living here in Kiribati and Utah Bay. I hear this rightly. I'm fed up. I'm fed up with living in this suburb where everyone is living these so-called perfect lives in the perfect units with the perfect views and sipping Shiraz on a Friday night and 
invited us around for a lovely, lavish dinner party and we have lovely conversations, but we don't talk about Jesus. I'm fed up with that. Sure, befriend them. Hang out with them. They're lovely, lovely people, but please don't miss opportunities to shine Christ into their lives. And hear this, Riley. I'm fed up as a pastor. Hear this, Riley, please. I'm fed up with just cuddling Christians. I don't want to spend all my week just with Christians because there's lost souls out there who need to hear the gospel. And again, hear this rightly. If you're a Christian here tonight, please, please, please don't stuff your calendar full of church activity and church events. Oh, it's lovely to hang out with Christians, isn't it? But the harvest is plentiful. There are lost souls out there who need to hear the gospel. And God has placed people in your circles of influence who you have this privilege of shining Christ into their lives. I get excited by this. The harvest really is plentiful. There are way more people out there ready, looking, longing to hear about Jesus. It's just that we often can be a bit slow in talking to them. So I'm going to invite you now just to pray. As you are, just pray for one person in your life, just one person that you long to come to know Christ. Father, we pray for all these people that have been lifted up to you by name right now. We pray for your mercy upon them, your grace upon them. We pray, Lord, that we would have the joy, the absolute joy of seeing these people come to Christ. And Father, you tell us the harvest is plentiful. So open our eyes, Lord, open our eyes to see those people that you place in our lives our neighbours, our work colleagues, our friends, our family members, the people we bump into regularly at the shops, all, all the people, Lord, that you, that you ordain to be in our lives. And they'll be asked that we would see them as harassed and helpless and longing to know about Jesus. So please use us now for your glory. In Jesus' name. We have the privilege tonight of taking a communion together. It's a really wonderful opportunity to remind us that, that we are called by Jesus, that Jesus saw us when we were burdened and broken, and he called us to himself and says, I love you, I died for you, I've raised again for you, and I will return to take you home. So if that's you tonight, you believe in Jesus Christ, please take the bread, it's all gluten-free, please take the juice, hold on to it. We're going to eat and drink together after our next song. But it's right that we recognize that even this week we have failed to live for Jesus and love like Jesus. We failed to take the chances that he's given us. And so we're going to say a corporate prayer of confession together. It will come up on the screen. 
Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open to us a future in which we can be changed and grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image. Through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. This is the good news of the gospel, that we are fully forgiven in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead now lives in us, and he can change you, he will change you. And so as we take the bread and the juice tonight, remember the cross where he died for you. And thank him for his spirit who lives in with you, in you and who can change you. So let's sing our next song, All Glory Be to Christ, and then we'll take and eat after this song.